letter of Ephesians. We're in chapter 5 in our sermon series through Paul's letter that he wrote to the believers in the region of Ephesus. And what a gift it is. A wonderful and thorough instruction of our Lord and pointing to these marvelous truths of God and what he has done, who he is, what he has empowered us to do. Today I get to preach on verse 3 and 4 in a sermon that I've titled, Improper Testimony of the Saints. We live in a a challenging time in our culture. There's a lot of talk about what's going on in the world and what might make things better, who can lead us, what is needed improvement, what programs or philosophies are needed to make our society, our country a better place. Paul makes a case here in the second half of this letter to the Christians in the region of Ephesus and by God's providence to us today is this. Hopeful change is not found in new programs. It's found in new people. Not replacing one group for another, as some might propose, but making spiritually dead, in sin, pagans, spiritually alive. Saved saints. This is only done by the grace of God the Father, through the perfect and completed work of God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Our hope, the hope of the world, the hope of our society, is is selfish and sinful, prejudiced and prideful, hateful and hurtful, impure and impatient people are made new in God and in God alone. Only when we know God, trust God, obey God and love God above all else do we desire and or have the ability to love like God and live like God in a way that's honorable, holy, and helpful. This was Paul's emphasis in the opening words of chapter 5 where we were last week. Look at that with me. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now look with me at verse 3 and 4, what Paul has for us next, our focus today. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Church, we are God's new society. A people made new by the power and grace of God. In this, we're able to put off the old self, that was enslaved to sin and selfishness, condemned, we're able to put on the new self that is alive in Christ, that honors the Lord and looks to make much of His name. 
daily there is a renewal, a sanctification that God is doing in the saved saints, in our minds, in our feelings, in our priorities. A working out of our salvation according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, specifically directed by God's Word. When we trust in God, conform to God, honor God through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will bear new fruits. You want change in society that's lasting, that's true, that's good. It's the new fruit of the redeemed that is needed. A testimony of the gospel that is our hope. That is this lost world's only hope. In verse 3 and 4, Paul is specific to say what therefore is improper testimony of the new people of God. The details of what is improper church is so serious that Paul is now in these verses mentioning these things for a second time in this letter. Consider with me the first mentioning of them in chapter 4, 17 through 20. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. <clears throat> they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Paul's clear this is not the way. This is our focus this morning. What is improper? What is the improper testimony of the saved saints? What is not the way? Are we clear to understand what that is? Let's dive into the meat of what he says here. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity must not be named among you as is pro proper among the saints. This is his first focus. The Greek word Paul uses here for sexual immorality is the word porneia. It's a word used to describe a large number of sexual sins. It's the word from which we get our word pornography. But it's, it's wider than that. It's wider than illicit viewing of, of intimacy outside of marriage. It would include any intimacy outside of marriage. Any lustful thinking. Any fornication, any homosexuality, any bestiality, any incest, any child molestation, any adultery. All of that's wrapped up in sexual immorality, in porneia. Sexual immorality is the result of the work of the flesh. When our passions and our desires are, are sinfully sensual and perverse. Notice Paul includes impurity here, but sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. The word impurity here that Paul uses in the Greek of further study of that word is to describe physical or moral uncleanliness. To embrace what is impure is to turn away from what is pure. 
It is what mankind does in sin when we choose the creation over the Creator. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 1, describing the curse on mankind when in our sin we chose creation to worship and value and live for creation rather than the Creator. And what's the result of that? Is we chase what is impure instead of what is pure. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32 says this For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationship for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, their gossips, their slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Am I not reading testimony of the culture that surrounds us. Is this not the reality of the, of the curse of, of sin at work? And Paul is clear that this is to have no place among the saved saints. That our testimony is to be different. We must see what is at stake. You must see which testimony you are a part of. You don't get to slice this the way you want to. We either obey God or we don't. We honor God or we don't. Either you are with those who are dead in sin and clinging to all kinds of impure things, 
and practices. Or we are in Christ, who is our righteousness and our only way to live, to cling to what is pure and what is holy and honoring to God. Impure thoughts, impure longings, impure actions are the testimony of those given to sin. So you can see why these things have no place among the redeemed saints. And why if you belong to Christ, even if your flesh still finds ways to long for these things, you are actively making war with it. Instead of giving way to it, you don't let it make itself a corner in the room. You purge it. You kick it out. You confess it. You draw around accountability. You grow and mature in Christ so that these longings, that these influences would, would be pushed away. Why? So that our testimony is Christ and not what is impure or immoral. Just how serious is the sin of sexual immorality and impurity? Both the Old and New Testament give high warning to the seriousness of it. Calling you to run, to flee. It's so serious, you don't even go near it. You go the other direction. Paul says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6.18, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. We have to understand that sexual intimacy is more than physical. The heart's involved. The mind's involved. And therefore, the emotional and spiritual scars that come with an impure thought life or impure sensual actions, the the, the scars that come with that are life-altering. They're deep. They're lasting. I know pastor over two decades to sit with beloved people and, and... Across the board, your deepest scars, your your hardest hurts are linked to these kinds of engagements and sins and experiences. Church, listen to the wisest man to ever live outside of Christ, obviously, King Solomon, as he gave strict warning to his sons about the threat of sexual immorality. Proverbs 5 Starting in verse 3, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She doesn't know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. and Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Verse 4. 
And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I don't have to tell you the temptation to appease the sinful longings of the flesh are real. God's word is clear just how intense they are. Just how potent the lure is, the lie is, the deception. You think you're getting honey and you get bitter wormwood, a two-edged sword that ruins you. But God's word blesses us to bring warning, to bring teaching. The consequences of engaging these things ruin our lives, ruin our lives, ruin other people's lives. Keep your way far from her. Don't even go near her door of her house. Christian, if a ferocious animal was walking towards you down the street, you would not be so arrogant to think that you're just going to stroll by and not get torn apart. No, you would run the other way. You would avoid the animal at all costs. If you didn't, it would be so foolish, so arrogant, so prideful. You would take the long route. You would let it ruin your day. Why? So it doesn't ruin your life. This is the warning. This is the ferocious animal. Sexual immorality, impurity has to be seen this way. You must take it so seriously. In what ways are you letting this have room in your house, in your life, in your phone, in your media, in your conversations, in your viewing of entertainment, in your deceptions, your lies? Where is this giving room to fester? Beloved, we have to move far away from what our society calls normal when it comes to sexual immorality and impurity. We have to be so diligent, so focused, so accountable. Paul says in our verse, so clearly, hear it, sexual immorality and impurity must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Some of you have found a way to make a place for it in your life. You've become too comfortable with it. Someone around you has given you permission to have it near. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. Even you young people. If that phone, if that access is, is, is your access, I don't care if your parents say it's okay to have it. You get rid of it. You heed the warning. You do whatever it takes. 
Man, I don't care what permissions your wife has given you, what lackness, lackadaisical ignorance she might have about these things. You take the steps. You bring around. What we've come to see is this is not just for men. Ladies, too, get caught up in idolatrous pursuits of these things, acceptance of these things, comfort. Hear Paul's words today, church. Hear them loudly. It is simply not proper. It is not God-honoring. It is not honoring to those in our lives. I mean, let me get straight at it. Is sexual immorality named among you? Is it a part of your testimony ongoingly? Because it should have no place. And, and if you're rationaling right now, you're, you're, you're thinking, well, well, if I turn off the internet, if I get rid of the computer, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to enjoy You're not going to let your life get ruined. Your testimony completely thrown in the gutter. That's what you're going to not do. That's worth it. There's no place for it. The only place sexual immorality and purity should be linked to us is in our testimony of the old man. Let me tell you about the sin of the old man. Where I've been. Let me tell you about who I am now in Christ and where I'm going. This is Paul's point. It has no place in the New Testament. The new man who is alive in Christ, who is adopted into God's family, who is made one of the precious saved saints, has no place. And so I just ask you, who do you need to confess to? What do you need to do to purge the weeds in your garden? Don't let the ferocious animal loom in the corner. Run it out of your life. Be done with it, Christian. Instead, consider Paul's words in the church in Philippi, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth any worthy of praise, think about these things. Jesus' words in Matthew 5 8 Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Christian, let us see and savor God with our days. Not the lies, the entrapments, the wickedness of sexual immorality and impurity. Consider the other part of what Paul includes here in verse 3 says covetous must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints covetousness or greed is essentially intense selfish desire for something that you don't possess you're greedy for it you're coveting it 
it's not proper for the saints to be greedy or covetous because it completely throws away our testimony. What is our testimony? Church, our testimony is that Christ is enough. How lame do we look when we say Christ is enough? Oh, I really, really want this. And every part of my day is fixed on it. Christ is enough, but I'm really worked up and all I can think about and all I can do and all I can, is over here. And I'm consumed with this greed, with this might. My, my. All you need is Christ. You, you don't need Christ and some money. You don't need Christ and family. You don't need Christ and fame. You don't need Christ and pleasure. You just need Christ. Paul's modeled this well for us when he says in Philippians 4, 11-12, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in Christ, essentially. He's saying in Christ, I've learned that whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I, I know how to abound In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He brought great warning to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that someone has wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Christian, do you see with me what we have in Christ is more than we could ever dream or fathom. You need to have a right view of the gospel to see what you've been given in Christ. New life, forgiveness from sins of wrath, freedom from sins, enslavement, power in the Holy Spirit. Restoration to life with God, now and forever. God is our prize. God is our treasure. Author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.5, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with us. Christ is with us always to the end of the age, he says. We should have no sign of covetousness. Maybe, maybe for you, it's not even necessarily like more, like you, abundance. But for you, what you're guilty of is looking left and right and going, yeah, look at that family. Look at that marriage. Look at that guy's job and schedule. And in you, Christ is not enough. There's this 
drive, there's this press to have to have something different, something more, something you don't have. And I just want to ask you this morning to do real business with what is that doing to your testimony? Kids who are watching you every day, you might be telling them a lot of great truths, but what are you showing them with where your heart's contentment is in Christ? Are you guilty of coveting lately? What is that thing? What is that status that you've been guilty of just constantly drumming over? Like, if, if I just had this. If my boss was like this guy. If my car was like that car. If I lived in this part of town. If my body worked like this. Looked like this. What are you coveting that you don't have? And in how many ways is that just throwing your testimony that Christ is enough in the garbage? Our Christian testimony and lifestyle should be one of holy moderation. It's not that we can't enjoy nice things. But we must do so in moderation that shows that God is our prize and true treasure and not ourselves. Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 5, let your reasonableness, your moderation, your, what I said before, is radical evenness of temper, let it be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. That we'd not be guilty of sitting at a table with others that God's ordained for us to have influence over and, and clearing the table of Christ and putting something in the middle of that and they just see us focused on that. But that Christ would remain center. That I would never elevate this thing, this food, this experience, this position, this relationship to a place where that's what makes my life good. That's what brings me joy. And I didn't even know I engage those things with moderation because Christ is my treasure, my hope, my identity, my joy. First Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything outside of Christ. Wealth, nice things, or experiences can be a true blessing from God. They can, they can be good, fun, great experiences. But it all falls short compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as Lord. And so Jesus is clear. No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
The reality is, everyone will have a master. You will be mastered by something. This is God's design for our lives. Romans 6, 16-18, Paul says, We are slaves of the one whom we obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. In God's Word, we, we discover a God who has created us to be satisfied, to experience great joy and delight, but to experience that in Him, not in His creation. And so as we experience great joys and experience in creation, they should point us and well us up with worship for Him. Job 22.25, the Almighty God will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. The resounding truth of Scripture teaches us that we are to ultimately enjoy God, be satisfied in God, and not trade Him for some two-bit, low-yield, short-term, never-fully-satisfying life-destroying, God-belittling treasure of the world. But to be satisfying God who is lasting, satisfying in every way is this your Christian testimony? Or is there covetousness which is improper for the saints? Let's look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let's break into these. The word filthiness means obscenity. Uh, to, to be filthy is to be extremely dirty or unclean. To be obscene is to be morally offensive to be disgusting to the senses, to be repulsive. Filthiness is, is to be morally hateful. Foolish talk or foolishness, foolishness in general is lacking good sense or judgment. It's to be unwise. In one regard, you could say, it is good for the man or woman that belongs to Christ to not speak foolishly simply because we're called to be good stewards of our days. And so to sit around and talk about nonsense or what is senseless is to simply waste the precious time the Lord has given us to make much of Him. But James Montgomery Boyce brings another layer into view that helps us. When he says the concern here around foolish talk is less about intelligence and more about morals. The word refers to one who makes light of high standards of behavior, thinking that it is fun to tear down what is honorable and praiseworthy. That's the foolishness of the talk. Crude joking is to speak or joke in a rude or offensive or vulgar way. These are words about the human body or about sexuality that are being used in inappropriate ways or inappropriate places. 
It is potty talk or body talk used outside of their appropriate settings. What do I mean by that? Things that happen in a bathroom, when talked about outside of the bathroom, can often be crude or vulgar. Things that happen in a marriage bed, when talked about with others or outside of the marriage bed, can often be crude or vulgar. It is appropriate to talk about private body parts when in the study of anatomy or in the doctor's office. But it is inappropriate or crude to talk about or joke about private body parts in a crowded mall in the workplace or just sitting around with your friends. Let me point out an important clarity that words in and of themselves are not sinful. Just as money in and of itself is not sinful. Just as alcohol in and of itself is not sinful. Food in and of itself not sinful. The created things of God are not sinful in and of themselves. Scripture is clear that nothing outside of a person that by Going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Mark 7, 15. There is no material thing that God created that is evil in and of itself. It is the abuse or the misuse of it that is evil. Romans 14, 14. I know that I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Nothing is unclean in itself. That's the point. Now, some might choose to level their conscience with extra-biblical restrictions and think that it is unclean. Scripture is clear to say that for them, then it is. But my main point here is that nothing is unclean in and of itself. God's Word teaches that we should not submit our conscience to man-made decrees to forbid right-touching or tasting or handling. Extra-biblical approaches like this do not honor God. It is when we speak of or use things in such a way that they're not intended by our Lord, that we dishonor God and others and become sinful in these ways. The world's agenda is to take what is sacred and to make it common. That is what profanity is. The world wants to take what's private and make it public. To degrade, to tear down. Again, hear me clearly. Words in and of themselves are not sinful. To say that it is, is to say something about a word that Scripture doesn't. This can quickly become a legalistic, a legalistic way of thinking or of doing life. Let me use my own words from the pulpit just a few Sundays ago in an example of this. Clarity that our elders are always watching out for. In a sermon I preached on Ephesians 4.29, which says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If you missed that sermon, you can go back on our podcast on our website and listen. In my second hour sermon, during our second service, I made an off-the-cuff point 
that we need to be careful not to use replacement words for cursing or blasphemy. For example, I said we ought to not say, oh my gosh. If what is intended is to flippantly, lazily just replace the phrase, oh my God. For this is lazy and sinful. It is to take the Lord's name in vain. We should not take what is holy and sacred about God's name and be flippant about it. It should have reverence. So we should put away that phrase. If you're guilty of saying, oh my God, you definitely need to put that away. It is to take the Lord's name in vain. It is to lose a reverence for God in His name. I encourage people, maybe, maybe learn to say, wow, or something different. If what you mean with replacement words is the word or the phrase you are replacing, then you're essentially still saying the same thing. That was my point. Now here's the clarity. There is not anything sinful in and of itself about the word gosh. Gosh is a word to use to express surprise. So what we can't do is say that that word in and of itself is banned or sinful when in and of itself it is not. My emphasis was don't use replacement words. If you're using it as a replacement word, the, the commendation is still don't do that. But if you hear me saying you must not use or allow your kids to use that word, that is not what I'm saying. If it is, then I'm, ask, I'm, I'm adding a legalistic prescription beyond what Scripture says to forbid a certain word. Many of the words people deem as off-limits are words that have real meanings in their context those words are fitting to be used. But when we sinfully or inappropriately or offensively use those words outside of their proper context or to hurt others, then we've moved into filthy, foolish, crude kinds of speaking that God's Word is clear to say is unfitting or out of place for those who belong to Christ. I've said it before, it needs to be said again. Our words, church, tell on the state of our heart. They reveal who we belong to. They reveal what we really care about. If I only care about myself, then I won't care that I hurt you. I won't care how my words might be offensive or inappropriate to what is honorable to God. But if I belong to Christ and care about honoring Christ, then I will speak in a way that reflects that. James was clear to say in James 1.26, If anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but receives his heart, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. True faith, or what James calls pure religion here, is lived out in an active and lasting obedience, not only with our actions, but with our words. 
Church, one of the biggest ways you honor God with your life is how you use your tongue to glorify God and not your flesh or not the world's agenda. James used the word bridle here to describe that we're to steward our words carefully. To A bridle is, is used to control an animal, to dictate its direction. So James is trying to emphasize that both control and direction of our tongue, of our words, is a critical part of doing what God's called us to do with our days. Living out our faith, putting it to work in an ongoing way that honors Him and makes much of His name. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 3-4, sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Paul and James agree that the person who doesn't exercise control and God-honoring direction of their words is deceived in their heart to think that they truly belong to God. These things are not proper among God's saved saints. James says that their religion, their worship or devotion to God is worthless. That's a big, that's, that's big. It's a huge indictment. It should be very sobering for us to hear today. Why? Because all too many people are guilty to think that, hey, I'm good with God. Thinking they're a part of God's eternal family, but are completely oblivious to their unbridled nature of their tongue, thereby revealing the unbridled reality of their spiritual heart. Jesus himself will emphasize in Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Church, our words matter. They're an active part of our testimony of who we belong to. They reveal our true character, our true identity in Christ, with or without Him. To say you love God, but then to use your mouth to curse others is to be a hypocrite. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. James is trying to wake up his listeners to the potent reality that you're deceived if you think you believe in Jesus are part of his family, but there's no change, no conviction, no transformation in the way you speak. If you are saved and set free from your enslavement to sin and now live in the power of the Holy Spirit in the newness of life, you have no excuse to be lazy or selfish to speak filthy, crude ways. But instead we are to speak in ways that reveal that the spring of living water is at work in us. Jesus Himself. If Christ is my Lord and my treasure and my identity, then I will not need to satisfy my flesh to cut down others or crack crude jokes to get a laugh. My identity is fixed in Him. We practice these sinful ways because we're looking to firm ourselves up, looking to find a way for ourselves. If you are a new Christian, maybe grew up in a home of debauchery or lived many years in the ways of wicked men, then your mouth, your words, should be on a road of true sanctification, being made more and more holy, more and more pure. As you grow in God, 
There should be real evidence that you are maturing. Real conviction of sin, repenting of these sins, turning away from them. There should be a progress of sanctification. If you are mature in your faith, but you still speak words that curse or glorify creation or even sin, then you need to take real inventory today. James says that your religion, your worship is worthless. Paul is clear to say these things have no place among you who belong to Christ. Maybe this is just something you've been really lazy with, really dismissive of. But today it is clear these things are not proper for you. And so today is the day you begin to make some serious changes in this area. May it be so, church, to reflect that you do really belong to Christ and therefore repentance will show itself. We need to truly bridle our tongue, not just when things are good, but when things fall apart. It's not okay for Christians to go, yeah, man, I don't curse and talk like I used to, but if you get me really mad, I'll go there. No. No. Why? Because it's not proper for you if you're a saved saint. It's not in the bucket anymore like it used to be. The true measure of your character when pressed and tested to the brink is that you still honor God in the midst of that frustration, anger, disappointment. You don't turn to the flesh and give way to it. To think otherwise is purely the reasoning of your flesh. The true measure of your character and identity is when it's under pressure and under trial, you will still honor the Lord. So I want to ask you plainly, have you been lazy with your words? The words that come out of your mouth, quick to self-justify, quick to make excuse? Have you been self-justified to think that when you're angry it's okay to spin up spin off are there still times where you're guilty of cracking a crude joke to, to gain the the laughter and the love of your audience i mean will that temptation come to your door yeah that's the reality we're not perfect we're, we're still fighting the flesh it's a sweet thing when, man, you got a good one and you put it away. Have you been there? I got a good one. Oh, no, I'm not going to say it. Oh, but it's so good. Oh, I'm not going to say it. All right, I'm going to say it. And then after, you're just like, that was so dumb. Why? I won a 10 second prize of a giggle or a crack, and like, there's no trophy on my shelf. We sell out so fast. Lord, let, let, let the Lord be at work in these ways to truly bring sanctification here, church. May we truly confess this as sin, take up a new course in light of God's clear word and will for us. May, our, may who we are in Christ bring new convictions and new responses to hardship and disappointment where we don't turn to vengeful, hateful words with others. 
I praise God for the work I see happening in many of you. I, I count it a sweet joy to hear some of your testimonies of, Oh, Pastor, if you only could have heard me back in the day. And just to know that, like, yeah, that's not your testimony anymore. Praise God. Look at this transformation that he has done in you. For many of you, you clearly remember the old you, the old man. Days when you were dead in sin, selfish, lazy with your words. Things you would speak would be gross, mean, hurtful, foul. You would do it without regard for who was around you, without regard for those words' impact, testimony you were saying. But for we who are in Christ, Christ is at work. And he's bringing transformation and change. And it's to find its way to our words, to our testimony of our lifestyle. That our words and our actions would point people to God, to grace, to the gospel, to righteousness and holiness. Rejoice with me. That this is not something you just have to do really hard and well and God has done a mighty work in you, Christian, to save you and set you free. It is Christ in you that you are desperate for, that He would continue to reform and refine. The Holy Spirit would bring conviction and mobilization to confess sin and truly turn from it, to rest in Him and grow in Him and honor Him. And if you do not yet know Him, Confess your sins before the Holy God. Trust your life to Jesus who died in your place to set you free so that you could be fully and truly forgiven and saved and part of God's eternal family. And this process of Holy Spirit transformation and sanctification would begin its way in you. When we know Christ, when we know Christ is at work, it produces something very different, church. It produces a thankfulness for all that God is and all that He's done despite our circumstances. This is to be our proper testimony, church. See with me, this is where Paul takes us next. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the proper testimony for the saved saints belong to Christ. Words and witness that are filled with gratitude and praise for all that we have in Christ. What a perfect time for God to ordain church that we spend time considering ways to be thankful given where we're at in our annual calendar. Many of you will have an opportunity to express your gratitude to each other tonight at our volunteer appreciation dinner. And I pray that you'd be doing business with this topic of Thanksgiving in the days and weeks to come. It will be the focus of my sermonette next week in our all-church gathering, this last portion of verse 4, and Paul's call that instead there would be Thanksgiving as we prepare to celebrate that annual holiday of Thanksgiving. Church, we have much to be thankful for. 
Amen? I'm excited to preach on that. I'm excited for what the Lord has in store in our coming days and times together. Um, Let us respond with worship now. And if you need to do business with the Lord, do it. Go to Him in prayer. If you need to pull aside a brother and sister to confess, to ask for accountability and help, do it. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be prideful. Let the Lord do His work that you would go the distance with these things. And the testimony of the Lord would be mighty in and through us. Pray with me. Stand with me and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us in your holy word. This opportunity we have to to worship you, to to pray together, to to break bread and testimony of the Lord's Supper. I'm I'm so very thankful for... um, what you are doing in and through us in our historic church in this generation in this season it is a true joy to know these uh, blood-bought brothers and sisters and to walk together for us to be excited for Sundays like never before to to be growing in these things and see how you are at work and so I pray for that I pray Holy Spirit that you would be mightily at work there'd be no part of us that would push these things to the side but we'd bring them to the forefront we would accept and acknowledge your sovereign decree that this is the hour this is the time to do business with these things it comes to the area of sexual immorality impurity covetousness and the ways in which we would talk that are disrespectful that are sinful and selfish lord that that there would be purification sanctification um, a refining in us that is so sweet, so true, and ongoing that you are glorified. It is for your glory. And so we, we want to worship you. We want to celebrate who you are. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for your grace. Be worshipped now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.